Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another episode of the Pro Wrestling Index on the Anfield Index podcast channel. I'm your host, Matt Topolsky, and as always, joining me once again on the program is my co-host and my color commentator extraordinaire, Mo Chatra. Mo, how you doing, man? I'm doing super smashing great, Matt. How are you doing? Super smashing great. That well, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a Friday. Looking forward to the weekend. Looking forward yes. to Man United against Liverpool. You're looking forward to it, are you? I'm probably the only <laughs> Liverpool fan that is, but uh, yeah, I'm quietly confident. I don't know why, but I just am. Well, I, I hope you're right. Um, well, listen, we have another reason to be very excited because welcoming back into the program this week is who I call the Seth Rollins of the Anfield Index. <laughs> the architect is back, Gags Tandon. How you doing, Gags? That's a big compliment. He is. He is number one right now. The man, the man has got two fights, two two matches at the next um, big event. I don't like calling on pay per views anymore. The next big event for um, WWE, and you know what? If he's got two matches, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a show stealing event for him. So that, that that's the big big positive about that next event is he's got two matches on it. So everyone should watch it just because of Seth Rollins. I agree. Absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly on that. I mean. He is the best in the business right now. Mm. Yeah, he's the, he, he could become the next Shawn Michaels if he plays it right. Yeah, I, I, I love that, That's a huge <laughs> statement, by the way. Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Shawn Michaels is no joke. You know what I mean? You know, you know what's interesting? Before we get into the show, uh, somebody had poised this question to me recently, which I wanted to poise to you gentlemen, uh, since we're on the topic of Shawn Michaels. Yeah. Somebody asked me if you had the chance, let's say you were starting your own sports entertainment company and you had the chance to draft superstars and Shawn Michaels came on the board. Would you take Shawn Michaels pre-back injury, which is the Shawn Michaels before the end of WrestleMania 14, or would you take Shawn Michaels post-back injury when he made his return? The, the, the Shawn Michaels of the later years, the Shawn Michaels that took on the Chris Jerichos and so forth. Post. What would you choose? Post, post post for me. Yeah, same here as well. Um, I thought Sean was probably a better wrestler before his back injury. Only slightly better, but still better. But as a an individual to work with, work around, deal with, 
by all accounts, he was an absolute nightmare. He was just uh, a real pain in the ass, even by his own admission. He was very difficult to deal with. Um, he famously said he didn't like to lie down for anybody, and um, that was that was a shoot. He really didn't. He was very upset about having to job for anyone, especially having to drop the title to people as well. So um, Vince McMahon had his hands full just with that individual, never mind all the other guys on the roster. When he came back, uh, he was a very different individual, more mature, and um, I think a better company guy, a bit more selfless as well. So uh, the break away from wrestling, I think, did him a world of good. Still came back as a very, very, very good worker. So I'd definitely take him as the post-back injury than the pre-one. I'd agree I mean, with everything he said there, Mo. I think I think the other thing is he wasn't as high flying as he was before. He wasn't as crazy as he was, you know, before because of his injuries and stuff. He was a bit more he did still fly through the ropes and come off the top and stuff, but he wasn't as, you know, fast with it or, or risque with it. He it was a bit more calm, so he had to rely on telling a story. And if you go and watch those WrestleMania matches with the Tate with Taker or with Flair you know, you, you, those are his, that's some of his best work and the close calls and the fall, sorry, everything just, those are going to be what he's remembered for. You know what I mean? More than the pre, it's the post, I think. I mean, I know Razor and him for the ladder match, but I reckon that's, I think it's an overrated match to be, to be honest for me. I, I think the, the stuff afterwards, what he did, they were more what I would remember him for. I mean, I think if you, if you put those, um, those two matches back to back at WrestleMania with Taker in there. I mean, it's um, it's kind of hard to compare. Hard to beat, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. really is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those were some of the all time great WrestleMania matches, and uh, yeah, that Razor Ramon match from WrestleMania Ten was absolutely awesome for its time, but um, it didn't really stand the test of time. It's one of those matches that was uh, very much for its time. Whereas the Taker matches are almost timeless classics. And yeah. you'll be able to watch those 20, 30, 40 years from now, and they'll be just as good then as they, as they were uh, when they took place in the recent uh, recent few years. You explained it better than me. I kind of uh, I kind of called it overrated. I, you, you, you nailed it with, at the time, it was brilliant. But if you go back and watch Best WrestleMania moments and that comes up, I kind of don't enjoy it as much. But um, but but yeah, the Taker stuff. I mean, uh, kudos to Taker as well for the part he played at his age in those matches. I mean, you talk about age. Uh, look at what he did with Ric Flair in WrestleMania 24, I believe. Um, Flair was uh, amazing as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was uh, the the story that those two told, and and in the twilight of Flair's in ring career, a spectacular work. The tears hit me at the end. Just do it. Get it over with. Just. Just brilliant, wasn't it? Funny mouths. I'm sorry. I love yeah. you. Uh, oh just, yeah. Just it gives you chills even now. Now, yeah. just thinking about it, those are the <laughs> those are the classic moments, and let's hope you know they can build people that big, because you look at that Michaels and Flair. Jesus, that's a that's two big names there. Titles and and what they've gone through in the business story. Wow. I mean, so hard to create something like that right now. Well, that's right. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's been a a big, big change in terms of the talent that has been established for so long, or having moved on from the business uh, to a large extent. And uh, what we now have is a 
a younger generation. I mean, even John Cena, he's not even 40 yet. And yeah, he's one of the older, more established guys on the WWE roster now. And he's one of the veterans. Uh, whereas perhaps five, 10 years ago, we had quite a few guys who were into their 40s. And uh, a lot of those guys have now moved on. And um, it was it was right to kind of phase things away from those and bring the younger talent through. It was the right thing to do. But as a result of that, those guys that have that illustrious history uh no longer around so we'll have to wait a few years i think before we have those types of moments again where guys with so much history so much lineage um compete against each other in these really epic contests do you um, think, can i ask you both a question do you think stings that role for for wwe right now that he's got that lineage that you just talked about he definitely has uh and and could he could they build someone enough could they put a Brock in there with him and could they actually put something on that would sell, you know, or, or even, or even the match that's coming with, um, with the champion that is now Mr. Rollins, could they do something that would put something together, you know, that would go down as, wow, has he got it in him? He's younger, think, than, yes. younger than Flair, isn't he? he, he oh, younger he than is, what yeah. Flair was, you know? Yeah. I mean, Sting is what, about 56, 57. He's an old guy, but mm. uh, compared to Ric Flair, he's, he's a number of years younger than him. He's still athletically uh, fit. He's able to fly around, move about, and uh, I think he can still have a perfectly acceptable match um, and potentially even a very good match with the right opponent. But I think the booking of him is is all important, and I think we talked about this um very recently on on the show in that um, jobbing him out early on following his big WrestleMania loss to Triple H a few months ago is not the right way to protect him. And when you have to think about building a show for WrestleMania, which is going to be 90,000 plus, you need to pack that venue out. You can't have it with tens of thousands of empty seats um, in the kind of upper decks of that arena. It needs to look the part to make it uh, the epic show that it needs to be. And um, Sting needs to be an important, integral part of that show. So to, for that to happen, he needs to be kept strong and booked well and put in good matches with the right opponents. And I think Seth Rollins is certainly one of those types of opponents that can make Sting look good, protect him, and potentially put him over. And that's why I suggested that um, putting the title on Sting uh, might not be the worst idea in the world. But um, we'll, we'll talk about that a bit more next week as well. Yeah, I I agree. I just so I would say on this topic very briefly before we move into uh into the show today is that uh Sting is the last of a dying breed and Sting has worked with some of the greatest workers in the history of this business. So if there's anyone that can still tell a story in the ring the way a story was once told and in in a way that we all enjoyed as wrestling fans growing up, that would be Sting. Uh but I agree 100% with Mo that at the end of the day None of that will mean anything if he's not booked properly, and we'll have to see whether they do that or not. Love it, yeah, I totally. Uh, I was hoping you'd say that, both of you, about him, and, and and it gives me a bit of hope that they've got some star power in there that can at least elevate. You know, it's still be elevating um, some of the stars as well. Like Rollins needs still elevation, and and this is this will legitimize. You know, this kind of adds another. You know string to his bow if he if he fights Sting and beats him or has a, a a back and forth title changes in the next few big events it's massive for him 
Well, yeah, I agree. I mean, this is exactly, I mean, if you think about this, and I've, as I've stated on the show before, and Mo and I have talked about this as well, is that, um, you know, Seth Rollins in many respects is being booked like a vintage Ric Flair, you know, a, a chicken shit heel that mm. runs and hides with the title. Uh, but when it's put up or shut up time, he, he puts on a fantastic performance and defends his championship. And who was one of those, one of those linchpins, one of those, um, uh, one of those great adversaries for Ric Flair. It was Sting, mm-hmm. and uh, and this is uh, this is uh, so apropos that now you have Sting and and what is one of the next great heels possibly being built in WWE uh, facing off against each other. So uh, if it's booked right, I think it could uh, it could be real money for WWE. Agreed. So we'll have to see. But uh, we have a great show planned today, guys, <laughs> and. Uh, and a lot of topics to discuss. Well, we have three topics really, but uh, broad enough that I hope we can pull in some of uh, some of the um, some of the average or casual wrestling fans into the conversation and maybe get them uh, a little engaged uh, in future shows as well. So today, what I wanted to talk about is what's best for business, the impact of the internet and dirt sheets on modern sports entertainment, and the most shocking moments in wrestling history. So. Mo, let's start with you. We have the 1980s style and the traditional model of professional wrestling. We have the Attitude Era that everybody remembers so well. And we have the current style of WWE booking and writing. What do you think is best for business? For me, without any question whatsoever, it's the Attitude Era. That was probably the most exciting period as a wrestling fan that i've ever been through it was amazing on so many levels you had wwf versus wcw you had two companies that were pretty much neck and neck that were equals almost in certain respects and they were pulling out all the stops in every kind of way that you can imagine to try and one up one another and to beat each other ultimately and it brought the best out of both companies and they were delivering in different ways um, some of the most uh, innovative and exciting uh, product in a wrestling sense I've seen. And um, what I liked about it is that there was such a mishmash of um, styles that were being presented um, across WCW and the WWF. You had the high flying Lucha Libre style in WCW. You had the edgy, unpredictable booking that was being pushed um, in a more adult-oriented direction by the WWF with the the Generation X and other similar types of acts. And it brought that unpredictability to um, wrestling television. Whereas if you go back to the 80s era, it was a very formulaic, very predictable television product. You had largely squash matches. You had all the top established guys coming in there against... Johnny Nobody having a quick two-minute match where poor Johnny would have virtually no offense, and um, then the top guy would pull out his signature move, finish the match, one, two, three, over, and then you'd move on to the next squash match. And that became very repetitive. It became very predictable, and I thought it became quite boring as well. So there's a reason why I felt that whole type of presentation died out and was replaced um, at the onset of the Attitude Era with something else. And then obviously we've got the PG Era product now, which is a very sanitized, 
well, largely sanitized type type of product um, catered for a larger audience in theory. And part of the reason the WWE does this is to try and attract um, new advertisers in. But it's funny, though, because if you look at the ratings that they were doing when they were in competition with another wrestling promotion, they were a good double um, in terms of the rating compared to what they are now. That's not to say that they would still be doing 5.56 ratings on the USA Network that they were doing perhaps in the mid to late 90s. But um, I still think they'd be pulling in better ratings by having an edgier product more similar to the Attitude Era than they're doing right now. So for me, it has to be the Attitude Era that the WWE should be focusing on right now. And that certainly, of the three eras, is my favorite. Gags, what do you think? It's really tough because whilst you can't argue with the Attitude Era, you can't argue with the ratings, the most people ever to be interested in wrestling in history uh, throughout any era was the Attitude Era. It had the broad demographic of, you know, the the 16 plus, you know, the 18 plus. Uh, everybody wanted to to watch it. Everybody was connected to it. If you were at school or if you were at, at university or if you were at work, you all had a teacher, a professor or a boss that you hated. And that dra- that's one storyline from WWE dragged you in. But everyone loves also a storyline where everything's not normal and NWO took that out. And then everybody loves a bit of craziness and ECW bought that out. But, but the, the one thing is it's, it, it's not sustainable. The amount of people that, that got hurt in that era, the amount of people that died from that era, the amount of people that got injured because of that era. And, and basically how, a lot of the business suffered because of how business was conducted in that era because of WCW. They, they went to pot because of how they conducted their business and it was not sustainable and it won't be sustainable now. And whilst Liverpool, whilst Liverpool, whilst, <laughs> whilst WWE uh, aren't getting the ratings, they're making more money now than ever before, ever, ever before. Hmm. So you tell me about what's best for business. It's a hybrid. Now you go back to, I'm sorry about the, the long essay I'm going to talk about here, but if you go back to the 80s, you know, it defined the industry. We wouldn't be here without Vince doing what he did. You know, very corny, over the top, not many smart fans. You, you go and listen to Paul Heyman talk about stories when he first met Vince McMahon Sr. and how he was a photographer and how people were scared. Like, he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know. He's not smart. And they, they, they were really scared of involving him in anything. Because they didn't want him to become smart. They wanted him to keep his, you know, to to, to be the fan. Because you, you change. You do change when you find out. You know, and now everyone knows. And, and th- that was the big thing. No one knew. Nobody knew. And, and, and people thought it was real. And you had a heel group like the Horsemen that, that when they used to do their antics, they used to be scared of going going through the crowd because or going back because they would get attacked. And there'd be a Rowdy Roddy Piper pissing fans off so badly that, he feared his life. He feared for his life at times leaving the arenas. And he's told these stories. And you won't ever get that again. You won't get that reaction. And I know you're going to be there to see it. And TV wasn't there. But when you hear those stories and you hear people like that, those are amazing. That's amazing. You won't ever see that. That's, it's never going to be that real. And and that's missing. And, and it, it's sad that it's missing. And 
going back to what what's made it here now is is one man right is Vince you know me and myself and Mo wouldn't have been able to become fans like we are without Vince McMahon because if you think about it he had a dream he had a vision the guy at the top has to believe in the vision has to risk everything to push it beyond what anyone imagined if the guy at the top has that drive that determination that everyone who witnesses who works with him will want to run through brick walls for him. I mean, many times people have you know read in books or podcasts that he's the first to arrive and the last to leave every time. That's what a leader does. That's what the guy who wants to succeed you know does. Never give up. Never say die. Even when the competition, for example, takes your creations, tries to do one upon you. At the end of the day, if you believe. And if you've got the dedication, there's no way you won't succeed in some way, shape, or form. And it, you know, it's a it's a teeny weeny scale or tiniest scale ever. But I feel I can draw inspiration from Vince. Not, I see parallels in in what I do with AI, but really small. I'm small. I'm small scale, right? But um, all I can hope, you know, that the par- the parallel the AI parallels in online world, obviously, do, do what what WWE. Are you saying that you're wrestling. going to make? Are you going to make the hosts of the other podcast join the Kiss My Ass Club? No, 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 no. That's just the story. Here comes Mister Gags. That's just the story. I'm talking the real life hard work, you know, that we don't see. But if you think about it, the the early 80s, 90s broke from from those moments. You know that, but. It, Moments that are, that like the NWO arriving, you know, from that that's where that era ended. You know that WWE old eighties era. It ended when Eric said, "I'm gonna go pay these people big money, and I'm gonna go and get these guys from there, and I'm gonna try and shut them down." And that's where the line was drawn. We're now moving into this competitive era, and what followed was like like most of the most exciting era in wrestling history by a bar none like the matches the moments craziness competition brought the breast out of everyone so many factors came into play majority all bouncing off eric bischoff if you look at it in my humble opinion right he was the center of it good and bad now you look at nwo kicking off and then his treatment of some of that talent that ended up biting him in the ass Whilst he kicked off the competition, he pissed off so many of them that they wanted to fucking kill him. Like, they wanted to actually just... For example, Heyman was one of the first ones that split off. In the end, made ECW. Without ECW, WWE don't get Attitude Era. No way. No chance. For example, Austin. He didn't know what he was going to do until he met Heyman and did those vignettes. And without that, you don't get Austin 316 just whooped your ass at King of the Ring. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, All absolutely. those I things, mean... just like, uh, then you've got, you've got Jericho later, you've got Six Pack. And I know Six Pack isn't looked back in history, but he was huge for that Raw after, after, after WrestleMania. Yeah. Where Austin won it. He was huge as a, as a little arrow to WCW, then Jericho, then the Benoit stuff. All of those people, uh, the giant, you know, sorry, big show now, but the giant, it, it, it was all those things that led to moments that kicked off. And it was all around Bischoff. If you go back, it's quite crazy. It's like all Bischoff, good stuff and the bad stuff. Yeah. But, but I mean, I mean, and then it was car crash TV though, Mo and Matt. It was car crash. 
if you think about it, you'd watch it and it was shit. So a lot of it was a load of shit. One minute matches that were just, you know, a lot of, yeah. Isn't a lot of this though, just cyclical in a way and in, in the way that history repeats itself. I mean, uh, and you know, we, we've talked about spot fests on, on the show even last week. I mean, so it's sort of different in a way that you're not using a prop in every match like the Raws did 15 years ago, but you're seeing more and more spot fest now. You, the, once again, the attention span of the viewer is becoming less and less, and it just seems like it may perhaps it's not really an issue of, of how you book or how you write or how you present a product, but just, um, you know, whenever the winds of change blow in, the product evolves. Wouldn't in that direction. It, wouldn't you call it an issue of chaining, though? Shouldn't they be chained not to? Whoever's chained these guys, shouldn't they be told, look, you can't rely on on these moves every match because you're going to do something. You're going to hurt yourself. You know. Well, I think, that, I think they are because um, at the WWE uh, Performance Center in Florida, um, a lot of the producers, the guys who work in the background – who nurture the talent, help to develop them, the likes of William Regal, the likes of Robbie Brookside, the likes of David Finley, they were very much that old school style mm. about keeping high spots to a minimum and you know, building to a crescendo at the end of a match and making those big moves mean something and having significance rather than big moves being transitional spots that you do every five, 10 seconds, which then <laughs> make the big move mean less. Um, you know, in the same way like, as like with a movie, you know, if you've got a big massive scene where um, something really incredible happens, um, but you didn't repeat that every three, four minutes, then the impact of that scene is, is lessened. Um, so, you know, that's what is drummed into these guys who are coming through the uh, uh, NXT territory, if I, if I can call it that. And um, you know, brand, very much brand now, it's a brand. <laughs> that's right. I better not use old school terminology. You're, you're right, you're matter, right, though, because, you know, everything points to NXT. It's something like Matt just said, you know, it goes full circle. What are they doing? They're concentrating on titles and matches and in-ring stories. And 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 once I, I have given Vince so much praise, but it's it's Triple H, that's the future. And and the thing with it is what you said, what's best for business? What's best for business is a, is evolving is evolving and a hybrid, a hybrid of using those old 80s, in in terms 70s, 80s of building a heel, right? We don't have a heel. We don't have a heel that cheats enough. They want to be cool. I say this all the time and people think I'm mad, but I want to see, I want to see a heel be cowardly, but then hold onto the ropes while he's, you know, to choke someone out or uh, while the ref's not looking. I want to see that because you want to hate him. You don't want to cheer him. You want to hate well, that was him? that was one of the, sorry to interrupt. That was one of the good things. Well, sorry, one of the bad things about the NWO in that they were more concerned with being the cool heels than they were with being heels, and about making the crowd dislike him, and about wanting the crowd to have sympathy with WCW that in storyline f- form they were against, mm. and about backing WCW, backing Sting, backing Lex Luger to get that big comeback against NWO and to un- uh, ultimately defeat them. And um, that's partly why WCW um, saw its demise in 2001, because its main attraction uh, was this heel group that wasn't really a heel group. And um, it worked against the time-honored traditions of the wrestling business. And um, that, to Vince's credit, is something that he 
ultimately has never lost sight of. I mean, sure, there's been over time a blurring of the lines around heels and faces, um, but ultimately there, there is always that good and evil element um, to certainly the key matches that are put on top at the key shows, the likes of WrestleMania, to help sell those events. I can be accused of being very too old-fashioned, too old-school, and not having the shade of grey, which is very important. Okay, I, I understand that, and I've been told that in WhatsApp groups in the past, that gags, you know, this is the new era. You can't have just good and bad. There has to be a tweener. There has to be that that shade of grey where there's a cool heel. But, okay, that's fine. But can we save them for the special people, please? Like, can we have special cool heels and special tweeners, but at least try and make some dastardly heels, please? Because otherwise, if you've got no heels... You're not going to make the stars. How important was it for Daniel Bryan to have the authority in, you know, a couple of years ago? Mm. Vital. I know yeah. he's organic, but it was still vital for him to have that moment to, to try and come across. They kept on calling him B player, B player, B player. People just wanted him to win. <laughs> you know, yep. and however you say it, Stephanie's a great heel when she wants to be. And and Triple H can be, but again, they're they're doing the. I'm confused with both. Yeah. With them right uh, now. You know, as as have as have I have stated so many times over the last few weeks and months, I have no idea what what what, what I have no idea what purpose the authority serves because one minute they're they're playing heel, the next minute they're playing face. I have people explaining to me, well, they're doing they're just doing what's best for business. And and I, I look at this and I just say, to me, it feels like in some respect, the product has an identity crisis. And and I think in, in many cases, that just comes from protecting these on-screen characters like a Triple H or a Stephanie to the point where they can always be on screen. And, I, and if there are commitments that have been made that they always have to be on screen, I get that. But at the same time, as you've stated – as both of you have stated, I mean, it, it makes business sense to have a heel and a face working together. You can occasionally have the heel and heel. You can occasionally have the face and face, but the money is made in the heel and the face. I mean, that's where it's made. Like, I haven't understood the booking of Rollins over the last few weeks, and we could do a whole other podcast on that. But, I mean, you're, you're essentially burying a champion. You're burying him over and over and over again. And, right. then he has, and then he has no place to go. And then you take uh, then you take the leader of a heel organization in the authority, which now apparently is not heel, and eventually he, being Triple H and Seth Rollins, are going to have this showdown. I mean, they're they're heading for it, and I I don't understand how you're going to book that. And I mean, again, that's a whole other show, but but yeah, there's there's just some confusion there um, that you have a PG product. But then you, you're evolving at the same time and you're saying, well, we're, this is the reality era because we have to evolve. We have to evolve. So we're going to blur the lines between these characters. Well, you can't pick and choose which ones you're going to blur the line between. I mean, if you look at the Attitude Era, the line was blurred between everybody. I mean, the fans cheered whoever the hell they wanted. The fans booed whoever the hell they wanted. Bret Hart was a face in Canada. He was the heel in America. You know, I mean, everybody had... They that did was, that they was wanted, perfect. You know? That was so and, perfect, wasn't it? How that worked. The Bret Hart heel. Oh, yeah. 
here and here, sorry, in the US, and and he was faced in England as well, in the UK, and in in Canada, he was faced because he was he was related to British bulldog, so everybody <laughs> loved it. It was just simple as that. Everyone, yeah. loved it. but I loved when that happened to him, and that was organic as well. That it, yeah. it, it just was organic. One of those things that just happened, and it led to one of the best ten man tags in history. Oh. It was tremendous. That was like, that's what I mean. These are, those are the type, like, that wasn't even attitude. That was just becoming attitude era. It was Canadian stampede. Brilliant. How great was that show? Who was the, who was the kid that started off Tanaka? No, not Tanaka. Who was the kid that kicked off the show? Uh, Takamichinoku. Oh, wow. He had a great match to open the show, didn't he? There was only like four or five matches, I think, on that show. It was, yeah. uh... It was a brilliant pay per view. I yeah, miss yeah, those. Sure. I miss those in your house pay per views because a lot of them were, would pleasantly surprise you. I mean, they really would. Uh, so yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, but we talked about um, uh, you know gags. You had brought it up earlier. Uh, in Actually, terms we haven't the- heard about what you think about for the for the for the for the for the future. Just to jump into your host seat for a second. <laughs> well, what, what do you think? Because we've had our say. What we want to know which, which what's best for business, Matt. Well, you know, I think what's best for business is exactly what they've been doing, honestly, and because at the end of the day, what we want, we don't necessarily always get, but we don't stop watching. And at some point, People they realized do, that People and they do, said, not the lowest rating ever. Like yes, but 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 the product's worth more than it's ever been worth. They have their own network now. They're a publicly traded company. They they have grown leaps and bounds more than they could have ever imagined where they would have been from 15 years ago until now. So, um, do you think, Matt? Do you think, Matt, that this PG product is what's best for business? And you I don't think, think an edgier product would be better. I, I think I think an edgier product, especially here in America, where. Uh, sometimes I wonder if we're living in an Orwellian society because no one can really say anything anymore without being buried. Especially if they're, I mean, we, you know, we have uh, we're, we're we're observing a day today which is a very dark day uh, in the history of America, yes. and there are people that have many opinions regarding um, that that day, this day, and um, if those opinions don't trend in the direction of. Um, you know the um i guess the the popular opinion or the popular narrative it it could cost you greatly especially if you're someone who is a um you know a public figure of, of some kind so i think we we're living in a time right now in this country where you have to be very careful what you say and very careful what you and, do and, you've seen that and this is one it. of the reasons yeah and this is one of the reasons why WWE has has given the ball to John Cena and has let him run with it for so long i mean right. Because he, because John Cena is the safe play. Because John Cena is never going to make the Hulk Hogan mistake. Not and, only that, and, but look how they yeah. they're protecting people on Twitter and stuff. They have to every week. There's a every week. There's a scandal on Twitter about someone saying something. Or, or imagine if it was a bit more risque on TV. There'd be people getting offended every two minutes. Like I was about to say to you, your points are fact bang on. I was about to just say to you that. You know, because they're three hours, couldn't they just have like a watershed thing like we have here in the UK? Like the last hour is a bit more risque, different sponsors. Um, you know, it's it's past the bedtime for kids. So we can go a bit more. We can say a bit more. You know, we can we can swear a little. We can show some blood. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. Uh, couldn't they couldn't they actually fit that in maybe? And plus, they've got the network. What about uh, NXTs solely on the network? Why can't they do it on the network? You know, uh, uh, that that's... 
that's not a ch- that's not a children's place. Maybe they could set some uh, put it on put NXT on after eleven PM or ten PM. You know, the thing about that is is that I, I don't I don't necessarily think a product that that shows some side boob or a lot of blood is going to do as much for you as a product that doesn't insult the audience's intelligence. And I think that's what Triple H is trying to do with NXT. I just think it's um it's going to take some time to evolve into that. And we've already seen the NXT product grow by leaps and bounds, but I think NXT is is becoming the can't the 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 counterculture um anti-establishment brand and I think it's going to continue to, to to blossom into that, and I think that's going to be their answer for it. Um, but as long as they're continuing to make money, and as long as the stock price uh, remains in a good place, and they continue to add subscribers, and I think their 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 paid subscribers are up thirty one percent for um for the year. What? Uh, I, I believe so. Yes. Wow. Um, I think year on year they are. That's right. That's yeah, huge. So- so, so I mean, th- right now, what's best for business is what they're doing. I mean, if you just look at the numbers, it's, it, it supports it. Now, as a hardcore wrestling fan, am I pleased with a three-hour Raw that I almost fast-forward through every week? No, I'm not pleased with that. But at the same time, I also understand why we see Sheamus and Randy Orton wrestle almost every single week. <laughs> because <laughs> it, for one reason or another, it seems to, to suit the, the casual viewer. Uh, and it that you know they continue to get subscribers. Now the, the the counterpoint to that could also be that one of the reasons why the network numbers are up is because you have all these other offerings of what people really want to see. And so I would almost look at it as two completely different audiences. The people that are subscribing to the network and watching what's offered on the network are the Attitude Era fans and the babies who have grown up. You know we're like the baby boomers of pro wrestling. The three of us. And so we, we watch that. But we have a whole other audience over here that tunes into Monday Night Raw to see a more casual, uh, more audience-friendly for everyone product. Well, that's true. I mean, I've got two young boys, and I can tell you that they have absolutely no interest in the Attitude Era. I mean, I can stick on um, something absolutely fantastic from that time, but you know, they're not interested in it. It's not in HD. It's not... Nice and colourful and very clear. I mean, it's something as silly as that, believe it or not. But do they, that, love, um, do they love wrestling, Mo? Oh, yeah, big oh, fans. that's great. Big, big fans. And, uh, but they're, they're only interested in the current product. I mean, they'd rather watch Miz versus John Morrison from some um, forgotten paper no. in 2011 <laughs> than the Ultimate Warrior versus uh, Macho Man Randy Savage at WrestleMania wow. 7. Um, so that that's the kind of change in attitudes and eras in that um you know even the younger kids uh are used to and programmed into what uh, kind of believing that what's presented to them today is what wrestling is and what wrestling should be and anything that's different to that is almost alien and something that's a bit strange and uh i think it'll be a good few years before i can even get them to take interest in something beyond the current or the relatively recent products of the WWE. It, it'll come though, because once you grow into wrestling and you become even more passionate about it, I found I started looking back and going further back to find out what was what happened in the in, in you know in the past and how, especially when the you know when the old stars turn up and they they make a big impact. Yeah, that's when they'll want to go and find out what did this guy actually do, you know. Oh. So hopefully that's what happens with them. Yeah, yeah, indeed. But uh, just uh, two or three quick points before we move on. Um, One of the things I have to say was one of the strong points of the 80s era is that we had limited exposure 
to the really top acts and the top acts were kept special because we rarely saw them in action. We didn't see Hulk Hogan wrestling on superstars or primetime <laughs> every single week like we do with John Cena in this day and age. So when Hulk Hogan wrestled, it was a special occasion, similar to how we have with Brock Lesnar now. And I certainly think that we can learn from that and more to the point the WWE can and look to perhaps have some of its more special attractions and top guys appear less inside the square circle. Now, I know that that could in some ways detract from uh, the rating side of things, but um, when it comes to selling its um, network and uh, making the larger events that are appearing on a monthly basis on that network mean something in terms of shifting subscriber numbers, then having Seth Rollins say, work one show and then actually work only a couple of TV matches per month would be better than having him work two matches per week. And um, that that's just something to consider for their point of view. And one of the or other two things, ma- or two matches per show. Well, indeed. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's going a bit far, but um, you know, that, that, that's something that we can certainly uh, dissect next week. But the other thing also as, as a, as a concept is also looking at, bringing talent into a more seasonal kind of pattern whereby you only have talent working perhaps eight, nine months a year and you stagger them out so that when they disappear, people miss them. And so when they come back, they feel like, oh, great, somebody's just returned and it's good to see them back. Whereas if they're on TV week after week, 52 weeks a year, then they become stale and they become samey, samey. So someone like Randy Orton, he's a fantastic talent, but we see him every single week wrestling the same opponents. And we almost take him for granted. Whereas if we are seeing these guys uh, with less frequency, we'll appreciate them more. So that's one of the things I think the WWE can learn from the 80s and incorporate into its current product. Um, and so I think you're right. I think you're right, Gags. I think there needs to be a hybrid. Um, and I take your point, Matt, that yes, business is um, through the roof and they're on course for a record year in terms of revenue. But I think that if they made changes to the product and moved their products on into more of a hybrid to incorporate the best of the current era, the Attitude Era and the 80s era, their business would do even better. Did you, I've got a quick question. You just mentioned something about Orton and about you know how to build storylines and anything. Do you think they made a big miss last year when all those vines were happening on Twitter about out of nowhere, out of nowhere, out of nowhere, and he was just and people were just getting RKO'd? Do you think they could have done a story where he was just RKOing the fuck out of anything and anyone backstage in the ring interviews, and it would have just got over huge? Huge. Well, I think I, I think part of that actually um, was due to the fact that Randy Orton during that period of time got hurt, if I'm not mistaken. So he was actually out of action uh, for a certain period of time while the Vine thing took off. Um, because I remember the Vine thing was going on at this point for probably two months or so. It was really, really strong. And yep. that's when he came back from injury and made that appearance on Raw and teased the RKO for a while. And when he hit it, the crowd exploded. I mean, they went crazy for it. So I think if it wasn't for the injury, I think they could have they could have really made something out of that. No, but they could have um, still, if it was that big as you said it was, I don't remember that, but if it was as big as you said it was, he could have just gone in a, you know, like a stunner spree. He just, Austin just used to stunner everyone. 
at any point. He could just RKO people in the middle of an interview while they were talking. It just would have got gone mental. <laughs> yeah, they could have done vignettes where he just turned up at some random location where, I don't know, some celebrity from TV that people were irritated with, like Kim Kardashian. Yeah. And RKO'd her. I mean, <laughs> that, that'd break the internet, goodness. I would have liked I would have liked to see that, actually. Uh, there's so many little misses in there. But anyway, we've gone off to I had to ask because I, you, you said it came to my head. And I yeah. wanted to I've, – I've always thought that was a big miss. Well, you know, the one thing that, that – the one thing that does drive me a little crazy about the current product is I'll say this, is they call it the reality era. But there are things um, – there are things that just don't match up for me. Like, you know, if you're going to call it the reality era, I think certain things should make sense. Like, for example, when – and I, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here. But when you have The Undertaker tapping out and you have a timekeeper ringing a bell because he claims he sees a tap out that's happening in the complete opposite direction. That's bad booking. It doesn't make sense, and that shouldn't be a part of the reality era. So uh, that's the stuff like that, little things like that that just bother me. Kayfabe continuity, guys. That's that's what I want. I think that's what we all want. Oof, kayfabe. <laughs> Oof. I, you know? I think, are you going to dirt sheets, are you? <laughs> well, hey, that's where we're headed next. What a transition. Look at that. Um, we're pros we are so speaking (laughs) of the reality era what 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 do you guys think the impact of the internet and the dirt sheets has has had on the industry do you think that it's made the industry evolve in a positive way do you think it's a bad thing do you want the curtain pulled back or do you want the curtain drawn what do you guys think i the, the for me um the internet helped uh grow the industry in 97 you know then that, that was when in, i went to university my first year and i got access to internet um because obviously we it was very expensive to have the internet at home back then i used to remember that i did get my first aol computer back then my pc which uh, which, which would connect and it used to cost me an absolute bomb the dial up just used to be so expensive <laughs> and all i used to be doing was checking up on the latest who's switching who's switching from wcw to wwe Who's yeah. who's the latest? Who's the next one? And I think the internet. I told you about this before when I had that news board. That the internet just went ballistic about wrestling, and I just remember my life just being first thing going to uni, checking what happened last night on Raw or, or, or whatever, because it wasn't available to watch just as yet, or on Nitro, which came a bit later. But it was just oh, actually. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Thank you, was that then? So I thought that it helped because the international fan, it was huge for us to, to keep in touch. Massive, in fact. And I think the industry grew abroad. And as you've seen now, they sell out so quick. It's because of the internet that we've been able to watch it. And it's in all areas of the world. Like India's got huge fans and they've never actually done an event there yet, I don't think. But they should because they'd bloody sell out. And I just think it's mad everywhere. So I think the internet had to come. It was always coming, I mean, but it had to help. And I think the attitude area, as big as it was, was partly down to uh, the internet. And how and and it just went humongous because of it and the interest in the age, where where most of that people were most of the people that are interested are still mad about it now are those that actually just started at the in the internet then because it was it was just so cool I thought at the time <laughs> it was something I could check all the time so huge and I think you've got a point as well with the dirt sheets coming in that's that's where the internet they feel they they were going without the internet anyway because obviously they were just. Uh, newsletters weren't they being sent out by post uh, yeah. if you found them you, you you were lucky to know everything about it but um the internet helped them become celebrities they're now celebrities on podcasts etc you know so yeah i think it changed wrestling for it, it, you became the smart fan is that what it's called it was the smart right. fan turned smart up. marks smart marks turned up and kayfabe disappeared yeah, this is a very fascinating subject. Um, I think the long and short of it is, in my opinion, that the internet and dirt sheets have been good for the business, um, but it's not quite as simple as that as many things are. With dirt sheets, they rose to prominence in the 80s, and um, the most prominent of those was the Wrestling Observer, uh, pretty much emerged around 1983, um, written by Dave Meltzer, who's still writes and publishes it to this day and um, is generally regarded as um, the most respected, most knowledgeable wrestling journalist in the world. And I was fortunate actually to be his um, UK and European distributor for The Observer um, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Awesome. And um, I got to know him and uh, I was very fortunate in being the very first person in the whole world that actually got to read that newsletter. Um, so before he went out to any of my subscribers, um, I read it page from the front to the back because um, I was just so fascinated and in love with the business and wanting to know everything that was going on. Um, and um, the, the influence that newsletter had, even in the 80s, um, can't be underestimated. I mean, Vince McMahon back then used to read it i don't know if he still does now um but certainly some of his booking decisions would be swayed by what dave Meltzer was writing in his newsletter same with wade keller with um the pro wrestling torch which emerged um a bit later in the 80s uh but even back then even though those two newsletters had 
relatively small circulation compared to the larger websites of today. Um, the influence in dressing rooms um, and in the offices of the large promotions uh, was already being felt. Now, moving into the 90s with the emergence of the Internet, um, those uh, dirt sheets, as they're referred to, um, were the main source of news for um, the earlier websites that emerged and um, that then spawned the internet wrestling community and I think I think overall it's been a good thing for the wrestling business because without the emergence of the internet wrestling community we wouldn't have seen a lot of uh, wrestling promotions um, that are really the feeder groups for the WWE of today um, they wouldn't have really risen to prominence in the same way as they um as they have and uh likes of ring of honor for example were very much formed by smart marks were supported by smart marks and indeed many of the wrestlers that have been through that promotion were smart marks the likes of cm punk the likes of samoa joe seth rollins uh daniel bryan brian danielson these are all guys who were wrestling fans who used to read wrestling newsletters, who went on to following wrestling websites, who then had such a passion for the business drummed up through these sources, and they thought, okay, I'm such a fan, I want to take it to the next step, and they decided to become wrestlers, and they became some of the greatest wrestlers of the current era. So um, you've got to think about it in that way as well, that many of the great talents that we now see on TV are there because of dirt sheets and because of the internet. So... Not only has it um, helped promotions to develop and thrive and to be successful, it's also helped to encourage talents to come through in the business and uh, become ultimately superstars in the WWE. Are they obsolete now, though? Because everything's so public anyway. I don't. I don't think, think so. I don't. I don't think so at all. Actually, I mean, and I. I think. Um, I think to a certain extent, some of the things that are posted on dirt sheets still. Um, they, they they still do and serve some of the same purposes that Mo was was talking about, and that they may not exactly or precisely uh, affect booking decisions, but I, I think it's definitely something that uh, is taken into consideration from time to time. I, I and and I know specific promotions in which what's said on the dirt sheets and what's reported on the dirt, on the dirt sheets um, uh, can directly affect attitudes in in the locker rooms of those promotions. Uh, so so yeah, I, I think I think they're still very relevant, actually. Cool. Yeah, I, I agree. And um, the uh, decisions that are made, um, certainly in the smaller promotions like TNA and Ring of Honor, Lucha Underground, are again influenced even more so by um, the feedback from the larger wrestling websites and uh, their fan forums as well. And indeed, Twitter also is a very useful source of customer feedback for not only these smaller promotions, but even the WWE, even in the way that they now book their product, present some of their superstars, is influenced by social media increasingly. So um, the impact I think Lucha, is, yeah, I think I think Lucha Underground is a perfect example of that, Mo. I mean, Lucha Underground puts out, I, I think, a very good product, but I think the social media awareness of that product is what has really helped um, get them more viewers on television. Yeah, that's right. It's been a, a real um, underground sensation, for pardon the pun, in that uh, it's it's built up a good, strong, loyal following, um, despite not being on a, a prominent network in the United States. And it's had a consistently good product. And uh, 
through social media and through the internet websites, it's really um, spread the word and that's helped that promotion. And hopefully it will have a, a launch of a second season um, sometime in the next couple of months too. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think that overall though, the internet has been very important for the wrestling business because certainly in the early 90s, um, if you look at the United States scene, it was in a very depressed position. The WWE was really reeling from the steroid scandals, sex um, allegation scandal, and also um, the upcoming FBI um, court case as well. So they were in a really bad place. WCW's business in 1993 was completely in the toilet. Um, the territories had pretty much all died out with the possible exception of the USWA by then. So things were really in the doldrums. And it was the emergence of um, the Attitude Era combined with the rise of the internet, which um, really coupled together helped to uh, breed life into the business again. So, you know, the, the Attitude Era as well, don't forget, as I say, um, was partly helped by the internet and WCW had a very good website, very interactive website. And you've got to give credit to someone like Bob Ryder. who yeah. was quite key and instrumental with, uh, what were, I remember that. Yeah. Almost like early day. WWE was awful. WWE is awful. The website was awful. The first one ever. Yeah, it was, it was pretty horrible, wasn't it? Uh, but just pitch black on it, really. I, I think I can remember it was, it was horrible. <laughs> it was just all black. It was just really hard to yeah. like, do anything. But I remember WCW's, was, they had they had, um, they had had video shows, didn't they, as well, after after the events and stuff? Yeah, they did. And um, the very first person I ever had a chat with on the internet, of all people, was Diamond Dallas Page. Because wow. on the WCW uh, website, they had a a live chat with DDP. Um, I think this was around late 95 or sometime in 96. And um, probably because not many people were on the internet at the time, um, there weren't many people involved in this chat. And um, by the end of the chat, I was the last one on there. And uh, yeah, so that was the first person I actually had a chat with on the internet. Um, but WCW was embracing internet technology more than WWE at the time. And um, I, as I say, I think I think that was quite important in the Attitude Era as well because um, all the news, all the uh, things that were going on um, from day to day, week to week in terms of talent flip, flipping back and forth between promotions and uh, all the other stuff, all the craziness that was going on, that, that was um, all being reported through the internet. And people, as you say, um, you were as well, Gags, were going on the internet every day to see what was going on. So, so that was really good. All right, guys. Well, turning the page, um, we talked earlier about what's best for business. So a few of the items that we discussed as examples during that period of time were the NWO forming, for example, mm. um, perhaps even Brock Lesnar's defeat over The Undertaker at yeah, WrestleMania 30. Definitely, definitely. You know? So let's talk about some of the most significant or shocking moments in the history of sports entertainment and professional wrestling because a lot of these things are what led to the Attitude Era, for example, or what led to the Reality Era. So uh, starting with you, Mo, what are some of your favorite memories, some of the most significant moments in the history of the business? Well, certainly as somebody who grew up on British wrestling, ITV wrestling, um, the end of British wrestling on ITV in uh, late 1988 was very sad time actually because i follow that product religiously even though by the end of it it was actually two different wrestling promotions in the uk 
as well as the WWF that was airing on um, ITV at the time. But nonetheless, um, I grew up with the likes of Big Daddy, Giant Haystacks, Pat Roach, Alan Kilby, Rollable Rocco, you name it. There were just so many um, unique talents around at the time, around the British scene. And that was really uh, quite a sad time, even though I was quite a young kid at the time. Um, but to see that end of an era, I just wondered about where where I could go for wrestling. But luckily, I lived in the Midlands in the in England, and uh, our ITV region um, decided to air um, wrestling on weekday late nights. You might even remember this gag. So, I and, do. Um, it was one in the morning, though. Yes, yes. So uh, luckily, we had a video recorded by yes. then. The VCR. <laughs> With so. the time is on. <laughs> That's right. That's it. So uh, I taped a WWF wrestling challenge, and it was uh, challenge, yeah. it was. and uh, that kept my interest in wrestling going. And um, a few years later, um, we had um, uh, Sky. Well, in fact, the next year Sky TV turned up. But um, so that that was uh, one kind of significant stroke, shocking moment for me. Probably the most shocking though for me was. Um, the time when Hulk Hogan turned heel, that was one of the most monumental moments probably in the history of the business uh, because Hogan was such a, a megastar babyface at the time. Um, his his run as a babyface was quite tired and quite lame and fans were almost turning against him. I don't know if you remember, but at the Royal Rumble in 1992 when he pulled Sid justice out of the ring um fans actually started booing him so fans were starting to turn against him but it was another few years before he embraced um uh, that direction from the fans and actually went full-blown heel but that moment in terms of its significance and its impact was just incredible and the scene with people throwing all this rubbish and garbage into the ring yeah. um just added to the occasion it's like so one of the last moments where a heel got real hate real real hate before they became cool they were hated you know yeah. and that's that's what you want to see that uh, but don't you think that that royal rumble win by rick flair was also one of the greatest moments as in because you'd never expected him to win that never expected him to win the title especially being a wcw guy i never expected him to put i just expected him to job him out the whole time <laughs> and yeah. for him to win it from being in there for like nearly an hour i just thought this is the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, know? well, the, the last top uh, world champion that came over from WCW was Dusty Rhodes, pretty much in '89, and uh, they put him in polka dots. And, exactly, uh, exactly, what I meant. But and, I, I'm uh, gonna, uh, I'm gonna see your Hogan heel turn, and I'm gonna raise you. I'm playing a bit of poker with you here, but go for it. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna raise you the Montreal Screwjob because Ooh, I wow. think, I think when that happened it changed the business as well in terms of he had to get rid of Brett because of obviously how much he was costing him. He, he wanted, obviously there was tension. There's so many things he've said, they've said that the uh, they've come out with why they needed him to go. Uh, obviously there was a breakdown as well, but they needed to change. And, and with Austin coming through that changed everything, him going pushed Austin, Austin into that role. You know, do you get what I mean? Uh, opposite opposite Michaels and, and obviously gave you Mr. McMahon and it made him the villain and he was just a commentator up until then until he didn't become that villain Brett screwed Brett on TV he then stepped away from being a commentator and allowed Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler to take over and they nailed it 
They absolutely nailed the next 10 years of WWE commentating. They did, no matter what you say. Any moment that, that, that Attitude Era had, had Jim Ross and Lawler. And people, people don't give them enough credit. They don't. They, they were, they have to. I mean, that's why they're in the Hall of Fame. Because they yeah. were that good. And, yeah. and all of that stuff. Like, I, I'm talking so much in terms of relations and how things relate to each other. But all those decisions, Vince going his own way, Ross and Lola getting it, Austin coming in, all comes off of that screw job. It's a, it's a domino effect. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's, it's the domino effect. It's, it's the spark that, uh, that lit the Attitude Era, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Matt? Well, you know what, guys, I, I've got I've got a two four oh. here for you. So here's the thing. So I'm 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 going to take that Montreal screw job, oh, no. <laughs> and I'm going to say I'm going to say that's good. But in terms of importance, yeah. the most important moment in the history of this business was the night that Hulk Hogan joined the NWO. Yeah. In terms of most shocking, however, that was Brock Lesnar. Beating the Undertaker wow, at WrestleMania that's a, 30. That's a call, yeah. man. Another good show. It's 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 a uh, it's something that no one ever expected to happen. I remember watching that WrestleMania. I remember betting on some of these matches with my friends and saying, "This is the one match that you can take to the bank. There's not a chance in hell to steal a phrase from Vince McMahon. There's not a chance in hell that Brock Lesnar beats the Undertaker." And you're as right, it turns right. out. You're That's right. what happened. And and you know what? It's it's incredible because I read an article the day after on WWE.com in which they compared that moment to the night that Ivan Koloff defeated Bruno San Martino to win the then WWF championship. And uh, in the article they said it was so it was so silent that you could hear the cars passing on the street outside of the arena. And I remember this moment when Brock Lesnar hits that third F5, one, two, and the third hand comes down, and there's just this collective gasp. And then a few seconds later, on the Jumbotron, they show the 21-1 and one graphic. And the moment they show that, it's this blood-curdling gasp again from 80,000 people as if they had just witnessed a horrific auto accident. You're right. Because... And it was... It was amazing. Did anybody else's heart drop when that happened? Every, uh, I, I was not, shocked. You're I not mean, there a wrestling were friends fan at my house didn't... hugging me. They they were shocked. They couldn't believe it. It transcended the wrestling business. I mean, there were radio shows and TV shows that don't even cover wrestling that mention this streak ending. It was um, it was on Sports Center here here in America. You know, wow. I mean, but, Sports Center covered it as a lead story. But like you said, Matt earlier. Taker taking that loss built Brock to what he is right now. And and these little things, domino effect. Brock is the biggest thing in wrestling right now. Yes. Uh, and and Agreed. that's because of Taker. Yeah. If if he if him and Vince Vince said Vince has said it was his call, but if Taker didn't agree, I reckon Taker still got clout, by the way, and he could have said no. But if Taker didn't agree to it, it wouldn't have happened. And like you got to give he's, he like you said he affects uh, Taker is going to go down in history as well as one of the biggest you know like you've called this one of the shocking moments Taker will will go down you know as a legend a massive massive legend in well, this Well you know it's it's, it's one thing 
it's one thing to be a legend. It's one thing to to carry yourself and perform at the level that he does even now. And even though it may only be once a year, maybe we'll see him again, but you know, before the year is out, before the next WrestleMania. But I mean, think about it. This man made his WWE debut in, I believe, 1990, and he was wrestling uh, well into the 80s before that as well. So in 2015, to go out and to put on the performance that he did and to tell the story that he told with uh, with Brock Lesnar just a few weeks ago is, is remarkable. It's really a testament to this man's longevity. And then on top of all that, you take this guy who's already an iconic figure, already one of the biggest stars in the history of sports entertainment, professional wrestling, and then he he gives Brock Lesnar that moment at WrestleMania 30, a moment that absolutely, in my opinion, erases everything that he did in his prior WWE run. This is a different Brock Lesnar. This is the Brock Lesnar that's the one and the 21 in one. And that's something that will never be forgotten. And, and Undertaker gifted him with with that incredible honor and uh, to me beating the undertaker at wrestlemania and ending that streak is like becoming wwe champion for life yeah i'm sorry we, we've given taker a lot of credit here but we must we must give credit to paul Heyman for building absolutely brock, for building brock with that 20 when you just said 21 and one the only thing that comes in my mind is uh, the advocate and uh in history the best talker ever, promo guy, number one. I am his number one fan. I just love everything that Paul Heyman does. And again, surefire Hall of Famer uh, in the future. He, the, the man is just magic. Can can sell. He could sell someone shit him. He could really sell somebody shit. That's how <laughs> fucking good he is. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, I heard this expression once. He's such a good salesman. He could sell a blind man a rat's asshole for a wedding band. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> yes, I'm just, I'm just not as good as you would say. But you know what? Yeah, shocking, I mean, shocking. Do you, are you are you are we allowed to bring in sad moments like like um, Owen's death or or Warrior's death being shocking? Because uh, whatever you do say, the the Owen death was uh, obviously the first kind of disaster. You know that then kicked off a whole load of disasters and then the warrior one kind of was really spooky the timing and, of it was was incredibly spooky and and well, that, yeah. that really moved me and like hurt me because obviously he just come back and it was so great to see him back and build the you know mend those fences and thanks you know massive credit to triple h for doing that and stuff and getting in there and and warrior too for for bending because very stubborn man you know we we all can be when you're angry and uh, and then to die the next day well yeah considering the promo that you cut at the hall of fame and then the night especially on raw. on raw yeah i mean some of the uh lines he came out with um were quite uh amazing when you think about what happened just less than 24 hours later um so that was quite an unbelievable moment but you're right i mean we had some very sad moments um, over the last 15, 20 years, and uh, that was certainly one of them. Brian Pillman's loss um, was also, you know, terrible because um, he was such an immense talent, and uh, he had this loose cannon gimmick, which was really starting to go place in the WWF at the time when he passed away. And uh, despite his injuries from his um, his car crash, um, you know, he he still wanted to be a part of the wrestling business, and. Uh, 
You know, he was genuinely unpredictable. I mean, we talk about unpredictability earlier on. Um, he, he, that kind of character, you didn't know where reality ended and fiction kicked in. The gun, the gun. Yeah. The gun scene. Yeah, that, that was, one. The, gosh, see, there you go. That's something you, you, you couldn't do today. Uh, the gun scene uh, was the first shocking oh, scene in Attitude, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the first shocking scene in Attitude. Again, a person who helped build Stone Cold Steve Austin was his best mate. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, one of my all-time favorite performers, actually. I mean, going all the way back to WCW. Oh, wow. I mean, With Liger. Oh, yeah. I mean, flying Brian Pillman. Just, you know, he, he really was a special talent. and one of, one of the most underrated talents. People don't talk about him enough. I mean, and I look at guys today, even like a Dean Ambrose, and I see so much Brian Pillman. And a guy like a Dean Ambrose, so um, you know it's it's a shame that we lost him as early as we did because he was an incredible talent. What about what about the Benoit stuff? Are we allowed to talk about that on this pod? Um, the, the the Benoit stuff was were, changed the business because of the concussion stuff in the end. I know, obviously, the sadness of what happened and uh, disgusting, really, and what what went on, and but. The business now, how is how it's affected people like Ziggler, Brian, Daniel Bryan, is all down to um, what happened really with Benoit and how it affect his his concussions affected him and his brain. Was the story right in the end? Like that was the the study. Is is that correct? Well, yeah, that's fair. I mean, that did certainly prompt um, investigations into why he did what he did and. Uh, Certainly all the repeat concussions that he experienced throughout his career from a very hard-hitting style, working Karagi Stampede, working New Japan, working CMLL before coming to WCW and then ultimately the WWF, WWE. Um, certainly took its toll in terms of his um, the condition of his brain. And then that led to Krishna Rinsky and the Sports Legacy Institute um, researching in great detail not only within wrestling but across other sports as well um, about the uh, impact of repeated concussions and uh, that certainly had uh, an impact on how the WWE um, now treats the whole issue of concussions to the extent that they've forced people to retire um, from the business when they've had one too many concussions so you can think of um, I think Christian um, is one example. You've got Corey Graves. Has Christian totally retired? He has, yes. He I, did, I didn't know that. Years ago, yeah. 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 As, as well as Edge. Oh, yeah. Edge, uh, Edge's was more Edge, neck. Edge was, was neck injury, but yes. Neck injury, I mean, that's right. But they would never uh, do that in the past. You're right, Matt. They they wouldn't give a crap. Would they in the past, it was just like, yeah, just carry on going, mate, as long as you want until, yeah, then you retire. Well, you know, I, I think it's I think it's similar in a way uh, to to the National Football League and and how they are handling concussions now c- compared to the way they were handling them for the first uh, forty plus years of their existence, and and certainly when the research first came out. There's some controversy surrounding how they handled it and whether or not they they tried to discredit the research or or the uh, the doctors that were bringing it forward. But um, but now they even have a, a different respect and a different protocol from it. And I think some of it comes down to just the fact that we didn't understand the science. They didn't understand it. I don't think that the WWE understood it. It wasn't really as much I think of taking it seriously as it was at the time. You know, you just had this. Well, go ahead and rub some dirt on it, kid, and get back out there. Type mentality um, of, hey, you're a professional wrestler. You're supposed to be tough. You're supposed to be indestructible. And um, you know, they learned some lessons after the steroid era, 
and made some adjustments with uh, with a wellness policy. I mean, that, that's something that no one would have ever considered. A wellness policy? I mean, what's that? And now it's something that they use. And as well as that, they now have, uh, I think, some of the best concussion testing of, of any sports league in the world in WWE. And they take it very, very seriously. Even, even if it's to the detriment of their product, they're putting the safety of their performers ahead of the the show and ahead of the company itself and and I think in in that respect WWE should be applauded for it. They should, but at the same time, also you've got to remember that um, they've had several uh, former talents who are in the process of suing the company um, for suffering injuries such as this. Um, so I think that it's partly to cover their own backs um, about current talent and people who've been on the roster in the last few years potentially suing the company in the future. So they're trying to make sure that they're not in that position for people to say, because of what you did about not paying due diligence to my health, um, we're now going to sue you. So I think there's an element of that in it too. Uh, but overall, it, it's a good thing, certainly. I mean, it means that we don't see chair shots to the head and some of the more extreme types of um, bumps and uh, stunts that we were seeing in the Attitude Era but uh, I'm fine with that. Health. I'm totally, oh, yeah. totally yeah. fine with that. If it means that we get a better product, I'm totally fine with that. Again, that was one of the things I was saying earlier to you about the attitude era. It was not sustainable. Oh. Not sustainable for, for, for these people because at the end of the day, they're human beings, man. I mean, we want to get the fun uh, out of it, but it just not sustainable. That, that takes you to one shocking moment, guys. And we must all know what this one is. In ring, the most shocking moment ever that we just never thought we'd see. And I don't think anyone can forget it. Do you know what I'm talking about? You don't, oh, do you? Go- Gosh, what, what is that? Undertaker versus Mankind. <laughs> ah, Hell in the Cell. Come on, King man. Of the, that, that, King of the Ring, 1998, yes. How, how he took that bump off the top going through the table. I still watch it and I still get goosebumps and I still think to myself, you crazy motherfucker. Well, and you know what the what what the what the wild part about that is is that spot was planned. The spot where he went through the cage was not. I know that's scary. That's scary. That's just you know. It went through. It, it, did it go through his nose? His tooth went through his no a lip or something. Oh man. Uh, yeah. Oof. Yeah, revolting. Uh, but that was just one of the most amazing spectacles. Uh, it was one of the most incredible matches. Even though, in many ways, it was hardly a wrestling match. No, it wasn't. <laughs> It was just uh, two or three unbelievable high spots uh, or bumps, more to the point, mm. and uh, that made that made the match. And it was one of the most unique um, things we've ever seen in a in and around a wrestling ring. Did you guys and, watch uh, it live? I, I did. I watched it live. I, yes. I didn't. No, I watched. I, it the next I watched day. it live, and I'll be honest with you. Sadistically, I would always wanted to see someone go flying off the top of a ca- off the top of a cage or off the top of a <laughs> off the top of a hell in the cell. But once I saw it, I I wished it to never happen again, never happen again. Because I thought, you know what, I love Mick Foley too much to see this happen to him, or or you know what I mean. As in, like the character by that time, you'd you'd grown to love. You know, as in, like because he's just. He's ma- he's mental, isn't he? He's just absolutely crazy. But a human um, crash test dummy. I mean, I think that's what Jim Ross referred to him as once. And didn't yeah. he didn't he run out for the main event after that? Yeah, I mean that's 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 the thing about that's the thing about uh, that that event is that that wasn't even the main event. 
That wasn't <laughs> even the main event of the show. But didn't didn't people Austin, have probably forgotten that as well? But didn't was... Austin say when I saw that I thought we're fucked for the main event because <laughs> wasn't it a first blood match with Kane? Yeah, yeah. I think it and, was, he said, yeah. and he said we're fucked. Mate. He looked at Kane and he went. That's it. We're fucked. We're not beating that. Because obviously, the, the great thing about the Attitude Era was that they used to try and one-up each other every every match. You should try and get better and better and better. And they tried to be better. But when the guys saw that, everyone just said, you know what? Rest of the year, lads. Just relax. We're not touching that. And the WCW might have just got out of business because this, this, we're coming. We're coming for you now. Because it's true. It, it's one of the most shocking things to happen in a match is flying how how high was how high is the head in his cell? Oh, a, a, a cage is 25, feet, and you hit a table, and it wasn't really much give. It just collapsed. Well, I mean, it exploded. Yeah. I mean, it's what, not what, a padded what, table. <laughs> yeah, it's and that's the thing is like if if Foley if Foley falls uh, a foot to the left or a foot to the right, he's probably dead. He is, and he's the most, he was the best person to do that because he knows how to fall. Like, you know, here we go, we talk about knowing how to fall in a certain way. Did you see how he twisted his body in midair as he went down? Yeah, to, it had to be timed to perfection. And that, he must get credit for that because people don't see it or look at it, but I have watched it in slow-mo so many fucking times now that, I always say, bloody, I'm so glad it was just you that did it because you knew exactly how to go. Because he, he, remember they're showing those videos when he was a kid jumping off the top of his roof of his house yeah. onto a mattress. Yeah. I mean, I have a hard time getting in and out of my car sometimes. I, mean, I, can't, <laughs> I, 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 can't, I can't imagine timing something like that. It's just uh, – it's and the thing about Mick Foley is, is he, he, he wasn't exactly – your, your your prototypical sports entertainer or athlete no. either. I mean, this no. this guy had a dad bod, okay? So, I mean, <laughs> it still does. Yeah, it still does. Well, pl- dad bod plus one maybe now, but I mean, my goodness, like the best it's bumper inc- ever. It's incredible. I agree. Yeah, um, and uh, I mean, further afield, um, we saw shocking taken even to a next level with. Uh, like I don't know if you've heard of him, but at Sushi Anita, um, you've heard of Mick Foley talk about FMW Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling, and uh, some of the matches they used to do in that promotion, headed by at Sushi Anita, likes of um, no rope barbed wire, exploding ring matches, and uh, piranha around the ring matches, and all sorts of crazy death matches, and. Uh, one of the earliest types of such matches was actually from another promotion called Wing, where uh, two very uh, obscure wrestlers, Mr. Pogo and um, Mitsuhiro Matsunaga, were wrestling. This was from about 1992. And the end of that match saw Pogo um, blow fire towards the head of Matsunaga, and his head was on fire. Um, oh, my God. And so this was the first uh, tape I ever watched from a, a garbage promotion in Japan. And um, I was what, only about 16 at the time. And uh, goodness, I don't think I slept that night. It was just crazy. And uh, you can probably find it on YouTube, knowing um, how freely available everything is. But, um, yeah, you had that type of shocking as well. And uh, as I say, there's that whole um, very dark and uh, strange, almost sadomasochistic element to the wrestling business as well with um, certain types of 
what I refer to as death promotions or garbage promotions, and they promote some very violent, extreme wrestling, which um, certainly is a very acquired taste, which I wouldn't recommend people watch. But um, you've got that kind of shocking as well, and uh, that, that's quite disturbing in certain respects. It's just crap. I mean, that, that's <laughs> that, 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 see, that's, that's the stuff that, um, that has, I, I think, has no place in the business at all. I mean, it's just absolutely. I mean, I, I'm actually shocked that more people haven't been killed doing it. I, I remember I watched a, uh, I think I watched a death match tournament that Jesus. was in Japan from the uh, the mid mid 1990s, and I and the, the main event of this tournament was Terry Funk and uh, and Mick Foley, oh who I think was wrestling as Cactus Jack at the time, and they were uh, they were suplexing each other on these, um, you know, like firecrackers or dynamite or whatever and they had uh thumbtacks the the ropes were barbed wire and it was just it was madness it was absolute madness mm. yeah yeah i mean again going back to gag's point about the type of product being sustainable um that it really isn't uh, it's, it's certainly not good for the health of the uh, performance but also uh, in terms of fan interest as well the overwhelming vast majority of people are not going to find that kind of stuff entertaining. No. They're just going to find it sick and depraved. And, yeah. um, I mean, I, I watch that kind of stuff for an occasion. Um, but I, I, I try to limit it because, um, yeah, it, it's not really professional wrestling and it is uh, a very bizarre, um, strange type of thing. Going off that point, I think is the best time for the Dudleys to come back. Cause we haven't had tables for a while and I think they'll, that little gimmick for them will, uh, that they've got is going to be so over because we we just haven't we just haven't had anything like that in in WWE for ages. Have we t- tables, chairs, and stuff? I think they'll they'll bring some of that excitement back now. People will will crave people going through tables again. So that will be um, that's going to be interesting for them. But would would Vince buying WCW be be a shocking moment? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean. If you think back to just four years before that, 1997, um, you could almost have seen a, a, seen a scenario whereby WCW could have bought the WWF. I mean, Vince McMahon and the WWF at that time were in a very difficult financial position. And um, I'm pretty sure, even though he might not admit it now, that Vince was considering giving up the business altogether because um, the ratings were in the toilet. They were way behind WCW ratings wise and pay per view buy rate wise, and um, it just looked like WCW was unstoppable. And um, he persisted and he worked hard and he didn't give up. Uh, but if ever there was a time when he thought, okay, I finally lost this battle, I've finally lost the war, that was the time. Um, so to fast forward into 2001 with WCW going out of business um, in that respect was, was very shocking. I've got another one for you. David Arquette winning the championship. Oh, shit. That was more like <laughs> suicide moment. That? Suicide <laughs> moment, lads. That was the night WCW took the cyanide pill. That was it right there. You're right. That was pathetic, I thought. That was just um, a classic example of somebody being let loose uh, with a booking who really should never have been anywhere near it. I mean... Vince Russo was a good ideas man, but when he was in the WWF and WWE, he had a filter by the name of Vince McMahon. And so 99% of his ideas, most of which were stupid, would never get to see the light of day because Vince McMahon would 
draw a red line through all of them. And the 1% of good ideas he had made it to TV. Whereas in WCW, every good idea and every bad idea was making TV because there was nobody there to stop him. And um, that's what resulted in WCW going into free fall in 2000 uh, because he just had no idea how to book a wrestling product. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. I think the the 1% of good ideas that he had came from Jerry Springer. So, <laughs> but uh, that's that's neither here nor there. Well, listen, guys, uh, another incredible show. We just, uh, man, time flies when you're having fun, you know? So uh, we got to wrap here, though. And uh, I want to tell everyone briefly, next week, Mo and I are going to be running down uh, the Night of Champions event, which is coming up right here from my hometown, Houston, Texas. So I uh, will be attending the event. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, we'll be talking about that next week. But before we go, um, any shameless plugs, guys? Let's start with you, Gags, because you've got a lot to talk about, uh, a lot to tell the listeners about. Oh, God, there's there's so much going on right now where we... You're a busy man. Very busy. Very, very busy at the moment. There's so much. I mean... Last week, we launched the rugby podcast. The Rugby World Cup's coming up, so the, the lads wanted to do that. There's some big rugby fans that are Reds on the site, so they wanted to kick that off. So go and have a look at that on the app, the first one, which previews it. We've obviously got the baseball show, uh, the seventh inning stretch. We've got the NFL pod that's out as well. So we're, we're hitting you know, these, um, the, the, American, <laughs> the American sports uh, with, because we've got a lot of guys around that side of the world, so they love it. So uh, that's good, obviously, the wrestling pod as well that we're on now. Make sure you listen to all of them. We've also got a gaming show coming, which is called The One Up Podcast, um, all about gaming. It'll be the old and stuff like we talk about today, nostalgic. It'll be nostalgic. It'll also talk about current games, new games coming. And it's actually hosted by Chris Grinnell, who's an ex-Sony developer for PlayStation, so Sony PlayStation developer. So he's cool. worked then and made games. And that'll be interesting to see that side of things. But obviously he loves gaming. But his company um, also built the AI app. So he's actually quite involved. Uh, he's, he's the guy that I go to for, for, for that, to build the app. So yeah, um, it's, it's a weird how that, that all that works out. So yeah, there's that coming. And then obviously all the, all the Liverpool pods that we have, there's loads coming. I mean, we, I mean, this week, I can't even tell you how many podcasts we've released. It's, I think the last two days have been four each. It's wow. just, it's just been mental, you know, just mental, mental, mental. And I'm to, looking forward. I'm looking forward to your call-in show after the United uh, match, actually. Oh so. man, I'm, I'm dreading it. Especially <laughs> Nina's drafted me on that one again this week. I was like, really? So yeah, we've got we've got Joe Simpson on that as well from the Movie Night uh, Pod, which is great. So the AI Movie Night podcast and uh, the TV one on the box third episode of that's out tomorrow too. So yeah, we've got so much going on. That's non-NFC and the app doing well and we're going to get the android one starting to be built this month up some point so that's that's all it's all positive everything is really positive and the writing on the site recently if you haven't checked it out has just gone through the roof we've added new weekly writers we've got new uh feature writers and obviously all the old team have been fantastic anyway because they've been smashing it for the last year or so but we've just made so many good additions uh i would um if you you most likely a Liverpool fan if you're listening to this because it's because uh, <laughs> obviously it's mostly plugged from Liverpool fans so 
do do go and read everything that's on amfordindex.com. There's some really good topical stuff on there as well. Thank Mo, you. What's, Mo, what you got? Anything? Yeah, I've got something different. I'm not plugging myself this week. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'd like to plug um, a new ebook that's just come out. Um, it's called Pro Wrestling Through the Power Slam Years. 1994 to 2014. So this is published by um, Finley Martin, who was the writer and publisher of the magazine that I was um, a part of for, um, what, 13, 14 years, um, from 1999 through till 2013. And uh, that was a very important part of my life. And um, that magazine ended um, last year after a 20-year run, and um, Finley just released this big, massive ebook which covers... Not only the wrestling business over those twenty years, but also um, a fascinating, fascinating story about the magazine itself um, and its own history over those uh, over those tw- twenty years too. So it's a very good book, very interesting book, and uh, certainly suggest and recommend that uh, wrestling fans go out and check it out. Awesome stuff, guys. Well. Really quick, I just want to let everybody know as well that um, Reality of Wrestling is doing some big things, so make sure you check it out. Go to realityofwrestling.com. You can watch our weekly um, episodes that we have of the show. And actually, Booker T is promoting Reality of Wrestling in the UK. He's going to be um, at the Blackpool Comic Con uh, this Saturday. So check him out if you're in the area. He's going to be there meeting with fans, taking pictures, signing autographs, and, of course, talking about reality of wrestling. And who knows, we, uh, we may be coming to, uh, to your side of the pond next year. We'll have wow. to see. Awesome. Yeah. That'll be awesome. Yeah, so, uh, so other than that, guys, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, get ready, because next week we're talking Night of Champions. So um, that's pretty much it. We'll see you next week. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>